Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. In this episode, we talk about an Anton Chekhov short story, In the Cart, and also George Saunders's like commentary on In the Cart. We really mm-hmm. focus on, I, I intended for us to focus the story, the conversation on occasion for story. So like, what is worth writing a short story about? And how do you create the feeling in the reader that the story is complete and that it added up to something meaningful? Um, but we got totally derailed by a huge difference of opinion yeah. on just like how to write. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the nature of art and the... Um, it, it, it's it's my fault. I'm an annoying man, but um, it's. I mean, I, I it's an yeah. interesting discussion. I don't yeah. know why. It, <laughs> it's, I think it's. I think it's a good episode. It's. It, it's definitely. It, it's cool. Like it, it's neat to talk about that sort of thing to have that difference. Like yeah. Yeah, we Ben and I fundamentally disagree on yeah. like should you write for readers mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> kind of fundamental fundamental questions yeah um but uh, sorry for the longer episode i think it's an interesting one and we hope you enjoy thank you enjoy hi emily hi ben <laughs> welcome to a very what? saucy episode of the good writing podcast <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you speak softly for I speak softly for thirty seconds. <laughs> it did have kind of like um uh grandmama <laughs> like you know that Grand Duchess of Anastasia Foster yeah. uh, <laughs> when it was just trying to get to Paris. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> know, <laughs> as the Bolsheviks raid the palace, which is very relevant to today's episode actually, but yeah, relatively. Not that I know much about um, any history, much less Russian history. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yes, relevant to the Russian episode we're about to have. Yeah. Um, ben, how's reading and writing going? Oh, uh, no, how's writing? Yeah, writing. Ri- we're do- we save reading. Yeah, we'll save our reading. Um, writing, you know, it's going okay. I uh, took my own advice and did some uh, ekphrastic generation um, nice. over the last weekend, and it was fruitful. I, I'm working on a thing that feels sufficiently weird for me to enjoy writing it, and it, it's it's going. So I'm I'm happy about it. Like there's a there's a there's a draft of Bruin. Hopefully, it goes somewhere. I was listening to uh, Eric Dolphy's album Out to Lunch. Uh, which is a... I was going to ask which art ex- inspired your ekphrastic yeah. writing, aka writing about art. Yeah, exactly, right? Writing in, in relation to art. It was, uh, yeah, er- Eric Dolphy's um, uh, album Out to Lunch. It's an early uh, ni- 1964 free jazz album, so it makes for good writing background material. Uh, no lyrics and whatnot. And just very, you know, strange out there, you know, no piano, all vibraphone in there uh, under you know uh saxophone and some really really ecstatic drumming that that i'm a big fan of but yeah yeah so so. was it you like turned on this album and you just kind of like absorbed into it and then free wrote yep how connected was the writing to the album um it's a thing when i write to music is like i'm responding tonally is how it feels like i'm trying to capture the like if there's like an emotional core that i'm getting out of the music i'm trying to put that same emotion into the writing like that's that that's definitely the relationship that i've always used for ekphrasis ekphras you know the word (laughs) yeah that one (laughs) ekphrasis yeah right yeah uh existential no Hmm? uh phrase um <laughs> anywho cool yeah yeah cool exactly it's it, so you know working on that working on my 15 minutes a day still not there still still somehow that's still too hard but yeah somehow it is also still too hard for me but the the few days where i did set out to do mm-hmm. a 15 or um were you know successful and happy days and i'm always in a better mood when i give it a go even if it's not necessarily a fully polished product mm-hmm. so um gosh darn it i should maybe take my own dang advice more yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> i think my lesson is just do it like stop pussyfooting and making excuses and do it um but it's so... i think i'll be telling myself that for the rest of my life yeah. though is at some point emily just do it <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i totally get that but yeah so so you've been trying for your 15 uh how like, what, what's your ratio on your 15 out of seven? Huh? What, what are you, what are you oh, feeling? Oh, boy, yeah. that's a rough number. It was like 
two this week. That is a rough. Hey, two gang. <laughs> Why'd you make me get <laughs> two gang? Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Same boat. Same um, boat. <laughs> I I like I I really enjoy um, writing by hand, mm-hmm. um, but I often find if I write by hand, like I it doesn't necessarily add up to a finished product. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, like I've been trying to do more like rough ideas written by hand where I think I'm like more creative and more willing to try things even if the ideas don't connect and then mm-hmm. um, transferring them typing them out and then usually expanding and altering them drastically while typing mm-hmm. um, and then I also get to count both when I handwrite it and when I type it as my 15ers so <laughs> hey there it is I've got my system there what about you <laughs> um for ratio or just for in general um yeah, what are you doing? You just you just pulling out your laptop, putting on your little headphones? It's been laptop lately. Uh, I've been saving um, handwrite. I've been handwriting for the first time really since like undergrad at all. Like recently, I, I it's all journaling when when I'm doing handwriting at this point though, which is you know it I it keeps it a little separate, so it, it mm-hmm. feels more personal in that way. Um, but yeah, that's you know I just pull out the laptop, sit down, do the fifteen, and you know feel good about it in the same way uh, what what's your generation process look like when you're sitting down to write something new how, what is that what do you do for that i never approach an empty microsoft word doc first thing mm-hmm. i always scribble some handwritten notes and those handwritten notes first thing they might be like a list of character names or like a t-chart like i this week i i made a t-chart and i was like Trying, I've been trying to like revise and expand the short story, and I was like, okay, I've got one of two options here. I can make the character, this character, the main character. I can make this character the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, let me jot down what my ideas were, and then naturally I realized, like, wow, this column about the other character is much longer. I need to like really commit to that character as the main character and mm-hmm. really develop her arc more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's always some kind of handwriting before I get to a Microsoft Word doc for me. Um, and it may not be like like my little T-chart. Like I started it off as a T-chart with like specifically answering like, okay, if I made Megan the main character versus if I made um, Ari the main character. Mm-hmm. And, and then I like just started like doing more things in Ari's voice. And then I like some something that I started off as scribbling in the corner ended up taking over half the page and then I was like okay wait that's actually a good opening to a section so let me go type that out and expand on that mm-hmm. um yeah so always I always I never am like open a Microsoft Word dark and then and then write a paragraph like that's mm-hmm. that's just not the process for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's that, that, that's cool that, that it's very organic in that way like it I like the idea of just starting with character names and, and characters as your opening gambit kind of thing like that that's a um I, I think that's a really solid way of doing it and it makes a lot more sense that, as a way of entering into the space of the story like that's that's good yeah yeah and uh, you know as you've definitely noticed by this point of having recorded like how many episodes are we up to uh, of, of this craft talk podcast yeah. with me i'm always interested in like not just what's happening in the story but like what's this character's take on it? Yeah. Um, and I think that helps me, you know, as, as a not really plot heavy writer, yeah. like thinking not about like, well, what is the story about? Mm-hmm. But what is this character's take on it? Mm-hmm. Definitely helps me when I'm like intimidated and trying to start a new project. Yeah. yeah. You're really good at living in the people like and understanding that they have perspectives. Uh, like, and that being the starting point, the, the perspective rather than the event. Like That's, that's yeah. generous of you. Uh, I think I'm really good at uh, bullshitting and making it sound like I've done more writing than I have. Is what I'm really good at. I mean, who, <laughs> trying to... <laughs> who amongst us is not? Sat with a shitting bowl um, before, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. Oh, well, Ben, are you ready to get into? In the cart by Chekhov. Yes, well, specifically in the cart by Chekhov with George Saunders' commentary, because I I want to talk about this commentary also that that you sent. Absolutely, me. we're yeah. talking about this commentary yeah. okay. also. Uh, okay, everybody, this week um, I selected a Anton Chekhov short story, um, but not just the short story itself, 
also, I, I selected it from George Saunders' craft, craft writing book. George Saunders is a short story, known, known best as a short story writer. His short story yeah. collection, 10th of December, is um, really interesting and, and, and fun and uh, different, and each story feels really different. It is also literary. Um, there are, I think, fantastical elements mm-hmm. in it. Um, I think that's what George Saunders is best known for. He also uh, wrote the novel that came out recently, Lincoln and the Bardo, which did very well critically and publicly. Um, And he is an MFA professor at Syracuse. Mm -hmm. George Saunders, he has a book, he titled it A Swim in the Pond, in a Pond, he titled it A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life. So George Saunders, like, chooses some of his favorite old Russian short stories and, like, does a craft analysis of um, that short story. So I had been reading not only the Anton Chekhov short story in the cart, but also George Saunders's um, analysis of it interspersed throughout. Mm-hmm. Ben, first impressions. Uh, first impressions on the Chekhov or the Saunders? Yes. Okay. Maybe Saunders first. Okay. No. Chekhov first? No. Let's you do, tell me. What do you feel? Let's do Chekhov <laughs> first because that's the base for it, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Chekhov. Okay. Um, you know... It's, it's a good short story. It's a Chekhov short story. It, it, it's, you know, it, it's a classic tale uh, of, you know, uh, Russian going out and being confronted by the uh, pressure of life and God and everything outside of themselves and how that is uh, impossible to contend with, ultimately. Like, it, it's a very, you know, one of the Russian masters. It's it very much in the... Um, kind of milieu and kind of theming that they all go along with for the most part that that style that was popular in the 1800s in russia um yeah yeah. um i thought it was pretty good like i'm not a huge chekhov fan i'll admit um i i think he's it's a scenario of a you know a very good writer a clearly very skilled writer writing a, a story that i think you know is maybe being given a little more read it by george saunders at times in his commentary than it deserves i'll use that as my transition point um wait before you mm -hmm. transition to george saunders Mm -hmm. i think that the style of writing of um so so the plot summary of in the cart Mm -hmm. is um this russian lady who's a school teacher um she's kind of like fell from a higher class Mm -hmm. so her parents died when she was young her brother went into the military and they lost contact and now she's a school teacher for these peasants and it's all very depressing. Yeah. Um, in the cart, she's in a cart um, being driven by a peasant on the way back from town where she picked up her paycheck and also picked up like flour and sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story really just follows her on this like unpleasant cart ride. Um, this nearby guy who could be an eligible handsome bachelor. Yeah. Um, happens to be around. Um, she thinks about, should I date him? Mm-hmm. And then doesn't, nothing changes. Yeah. And then decides um, that she ultimately can't, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's just like obsessing about the stupid school, yeah. like stuff that's, she's always anxious about. Yeah. And then she, uh, the peasant acts like not intentionally, but due to poor decisions, um, drives the cart through like through the river instead of using the bridge above it Mm -hmm. because he thought that the river was like not deep and not as deep as it was and he gets her flour and sugar all wet which obviously ruins it which is a huge bummer Mm -hmm. and then she sees like um they're waiting at a train stop and she sees this woman who reminds her of her dead mother and she like has this moment of like real clarity of memories about her an epiphany moment Mm -hmm. a classic Chekhov epiphany moment where she, like, remembers what her parents were like when she was growing up and how nice that life was and, like, how different her current lived circumstances are compared to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes back to her boring and terrible, miserable life as a schoolmistress. Mm-hmm. Um, plot summary. I think that this kind of structure is actually really popular today, too. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think, like, this is a pretty classic, like, um, literary New Yorker type mm-hmm. plot. It's a character with it's the it's yeah it's, realism. it's yeah. realist it's also just a character with a with a, with an internal life that's relatively interesting has a relatively boring day but then an epiphany at the end like mm-hmm. that is the new yorker cliche literary mm-hmm. short story okay um that's I, I read a review in i think it was salon or slate of the this george saunders book specifically mm-hmm. that was just like 
taken this Chekhov story to, to town as like <laughs> Chekhov's <laughs> kind of set the precedent for like the low stakes literary stories that we're uh, okay. used to seeing in MFA workshops and in, in the New Yorker. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I think it's master. I think it is masterfully done, but mm-hmm. uh, yes, I think what makes this really special is George Saunders commentary on it. Mm-hmm. I agree already. Mm-hmm. You go. Yeah. Okay, so, like, I I think George Saunders does a really good job of describing, um, you know, what's going on in the story and why this story is a story and using it to kind of pontificate on what exactly a short story is as a, fo- as a unit of form. Like, that, that's mm-hmm. his big thing is that he breaks this 11-page story down with 40 pages of commentary as yeah. to it, the way it's constructed and the way in which it kind of achieves perfection in the form of the short story, or at least what to George yes. Saunders feels like perfection. Like, yeah. 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 Um, for those of you who haven't yet read or picked up George Saunders's A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, worth it, recommend it, pick it up. How he structures this commentary interspersed throughout this Chekhov short story is he does it as a page at a time exercise. Mm-hmm. So it's, here's the first page, and then he does a few pages of commentary where he says, okay, based on what you've read so far, what are your expectations? Mm-hmm. What are the balls in the air so far? Mm-hmm. Um, and then commentary, page at a time commentary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that he, he makes this point uh, kind of throughout this piece that like everything in the story does something. And that, like, mm-hmm. pa- what makes it a good short story is that everything is doing something. Like, everything is there on purpose with intention to, like, what what, what is his phrasing on it? it it's like, he mentions the um, uh, the uh, guy that was a script writer um, that says it's like, everything is either, it is both interesting in and of itself and pushes the action forward. It's something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and every moment in the story does that. And I think he does a really good job of pointing all this stuff out. I think he does an excellent job of, um, you know, making all of this stuff feel intentional and why it's beautiful to him. But I just kind of disagree with his thesis about the short story that ev- <laughs> the and writing in general that like, oh, look, everything has to do something. Like we have to observe mm. this art for its utility and its success is hinged upon its ability to like, you know, do this thing we think of as its intentional like purpose and and i Mm -hmm. i don't think art has to do that Uh, like as we've seen from the many episodes we've (laughs) recorded together i i i I don't think that's what art should do or what it has to do i think it can do that and it's it can be done excellently but i don't think that that I, i think that saying that this is a perfect short story because it's stripped away any artifice or any like you know attempts to exist outside of its intentions and what it wants from its reader because that's a big thing to him is that like the short story is a conversation between the writer and the reader and the and it's about the writer predicting what the reader is going to do like and predicting what the reader thinks should happen or is going to happen and then responding to that prediction mm-hmm. in a way that is you know kind of making the reader feel like rewarded for having predicted that Mm -hmm. kind of making them feel right but not doing it too predictably Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah yes also no (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) is my thought um okay so let can can we talk first as if we agree with george saunders just to like explain these concepts in full and then Mm -hmm. we can have our rebuttals yes um i do agree with almost fullheartedly with george saunders so i mm-hmm. I, I will land closer to him mm-hmm. on this than than, than mr experimental ben <laughs> than ben will um so let's talk first as if we agree with him um entirely um the structure if you are if you dear dear listener dear uh, good writing fan um if you are thinking about doing an mfa Pick up this book because this is how an MFA Mm. professor will teach Mm -hmm. you how to read. Mm -hmm. This is it, folks. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are thinking, how do I read like a writer? This first short story in George Saunders' commentary about In the Cart, this is it. This This is is what they teach you. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are thinking about doing an MFA, or if you're wondering what that's like at all, pick up 
was George Saunders' book, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, because this is what it is like to, to be in an MFA class. Yeah. Um, so I do agree with the following. Yeah. Um, I think he is right. Like, mm-hmm. in order to be as efficiently entertaining as possible, mm-hmm. a good short story will efficiently establish expectations and then both reward and break them. Mm-hmm. Um, so how he does it, how how he, how he Chekhov does it in this short story, um, the first page of In the Cart, so if anyone is reading the link that we clicked below, um, I, I'm, I've found a link to a different translation of In the Cart by Anton Chekhov, mm-hmm. and I've linked it below, so feel free to read that, that different translation online. Um, this is from They Drove Out of Town at Half Past Eight in the Morning to... Um, here was her past and her present, and she could imagine no other future than the school, the road to the town and back, and again the school and again the road. Mm. Um, I love how Saunders like pauses there, and he asks you to take a second and answer the following questions. Mm-hmm. Look away from the page and summarize what you know so far. Try to summarize it in one or two sentences. How much do you know so far? What are you curious about, and where do you think the story is headed? Like that is a phenomenal exercise to learn how to read like a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, like always, these these are the kinds of questions you can be asking yourself as you're reading to basically ask yourself, how would I write this differently? Mm-hmm. Um, so look away. What can you summarize? What are you curious about so far? Where do you think the story is heading? Um, phenomenal exercise for anything that you read ever. Recommend. Like mm-hmm. pause after about a page. Ask yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think, like, as as the story continues on and our main character, like, sees the handsome bachelor who's in that other cart and she has both positive thoughts, thoughts about him and negative thoughts about him, um, George Saunders really, like, points out, like, are we being made to think that this is a romance, mm-hmm. right? In that, like, he gives examples of, like, ways that Chekhov could make this in a romance in a way that would, it would feel too predictable and ways that he could, like, lay all those seeds, make us think, is this a romance, and then not address it at all, right? Mm-hmm. So he has to address it in some way in order f- for us to not feel like, I don't know, refuted in our in our guess there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think these are really valuable exercises, mm-hmm. Ben. Like, I think they're phenomenal, a phenomenal reading exercise. And, like, I am kind of a believer in the, you know, if you're going to break the rules, you need to do it with intention. Um, you need to know the rules in order to break them in a way that's interesting. I, I think that there is truth to that. I, I do agree. Like, like I, I, I don't, or at least I don't completely disagree. You know, like I, I think Word. that I, I think that this is a very valuable reading. I think it's a very good reading. Like, like, and you're right. Like, that is an excellent exercise to learn how to read like a writer. But the thing that I fear about this, and I think this is the thing that gets talked about as a problem with MFA programs in general, also, is that mm-hmm. suddenly. All of the writers that go through these programs have been taught this stripped-down version of how they need to look at their story as it's, you know, as something that is always falling into these discrete units, and those units are always Mm -hmm. adding together towards this same direction. And, like, Mm -hmm. it kind of, I don't know, it it feels like it it robs the the reader of the ability to dream like to a certain Hmm. extent like because the way and and i think that we even see that or at least i somewhat experience that in in this reading of this Chekhov short story saunders reading is overpowering i cannot read this Chekhov story any other way than how he has presented it to me now i can never interpret it differently because he makes a really fantastic argument and and breaks it down beautifully like he does a Mm -hmm. wonderful job like but it just, you know, there's this moment when he's like, oh, it implies a potential romance. And reading that moment, and he, once again, argues it perfectly, and I, I think he is correct that that is what Chekhov is doing. I don't know if when I came to this story originally, if I would read her as being, like, anything more than frivolously attracted to this man, or anything more than... Or, or if she would just be in relation to this man in space as someone that she knows. Like, I, I don't know what my reading of that would be because mm-hmm. Saunders has completely, like... This is what the story is. Like, he, he has taken yeah. it to its core. Like, yeah. And it's... The story has, like, fit neatly into 
his argument, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an order. It's a following beha- following direction story. Mm-hmm. I think your taste is generally for something more unruly, yes. something that does not or will not so perfectly fit into any one argument. Yeah. It, um, mm-hmm. I think a part of that though is like what the purpose of short stories was in this era. Mm-hmm. Like Chekhov wrote this in. 1897 Mm -hmm. short stories were the tv of 1897 Mm -hmm. like they were in little magazines and you'd pick them up and you'd have your little chuckle or you'd have your deep thought but this was the tv of 1897 um so it is meant to i think that short stories in this era were meant to be more consumable Mm -hmm. um they were intended to be orderly Mm -hmm. they weren't intended you know, today short stories, while there are people who, you know, there's you can do it for any reason you want, but mm-hmm. I think, like, it is more common because short stories are more niche. They're published originally in literary magazines that very few of us subscribe to, mm-hmm. and they're published originally in short story collections that don't typically sell well. Mm-hmm. They're more like po- poetry. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have to be widely consumable, easily consumable entertainment. Like, they can be unruly. Mm-hmm. I-, I think this was a I think the intention here was more entertainment. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, but, it, but it's even then, you know, I, I don't want to like... Like a book like Tristram Shandy, or Tristram Shandy, I can't remember if it's with an R or not, was written when. Like that. that's... Uh, Tristram Shandy is a novel written in, what, the 1700s? Yeah, 1759. Uh, a deeply, you know, experimental novel, the likes of which we do mm-hmm. not see to this day. Or, or something even like Moby Dick, which is an incredibly strange book. Yes. Um, it, deeply weird. Yeah, written earlier than this, even. This is approaching more to our, our modernity, um, Chekhov. Um, and, and it's just, you know... There was there was unruliness then as well, and, and there were readers for unruliness in part because there was less to do overall. Um, <laughs> I, I think also like just because, like you said, uh, short stories were the television of the day, uh, and in television's absence, there was just a lot more reading to be done if you were a person that could read. Um, yeah, so yeah. It, it's you know it, it it there's a wideness to it as well then, but like I, I totally get what you're saying that it is. It falls in with the argument that Saunders is making in that it is that very keenly structured um, form. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah, I think the connection between how Chekhov wrote and how MFA writers are encouraged to, are bred to write, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, yeah. is real. You know, that yeah. um, economical... Um, let's, let's take a second... Let's take a second and find that quote, that exact quote where that screenwriter was like, every sentence should this or that. Uh, here it is. Uh, 32, page 32. Uh, cool. The movie producer and all-around mensch, Stuart Cornfield, once told me that in a good screenplay, every structural unit needs to do two things. One, be entertaining in its own right, and two, advance the story in a non-trivial way. Um, that's, that's the exact mm. quote uh, that we're kind of referring to here and that every unit of the story every unit in writing and i i think that like while um saunders is applying this to the short story here i don't think he would mm-hmm. disagree that it should be applied to the novel as well um i, oh, I don't yeah. know that for sure but like i just because you know lincoln and the bardo is a very weird book like at the end of Actually, the day I haven't, I, read I, it. I haven't read it either but i've read reviews of it and it seems like it's a very strange formal kind of ambient thing a lot of the time so hmm. it, it's it, it's definitely supposed to be a, a stranger thing but i i feel like he th- this rule set feels very uh saunders to me and what i've read from him um yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm going to take that from a, I'm going to take a different tack to, to, I think like the same core question Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, So the classical writing advice, which he's quoted a screenplay friend of his saying like every piece of your writing needs to be inherently interest and also needs to be adding up to something. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like what Saunders talks about on page 19, which is when we talk about fiction, we tend to use terms like theme, plot, character development, and structure. Mm-hmm. I've never, as a writer, found these very useful. Your theme's no good, gives me nothing to work with, and neither does, you might want to make your plot better. These terms are placeholders, Saunders says. Mm-hmm. And then he's really saying that, like, 
how he analyzes this Chekhov short story is um, a different way to think about structure. So rather than talking about structure in terms of theme or whatever, he thinks of it in terms of calls and responses. Mm-hmm. So Chekhov is really official, efficiently setting up expectations and then responding to those expectations. Um, and I, I do think that's a really useful mm-hmm. alternative to how... I, I think how we as English majors are taught to analyze short stories is not useful for us as writers. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so like the three-act structure, for example, mm-hmm. that is super useful when analyzing as a reader, mm-hmm. not useful when trying to create something as a writer. Yeah. Because they, these like structural structural terms and these, these like terms like theme and plot... Mm-hmm. Those are applied once the thing already exists mm-hmm. as a way to break it down. Yes. They're not useful, I don't think, as a way to build. Mm-hmm. So I really think this alternative way to think about structure is not three act or whatever, but like calls and response, building expectations and responding to those expectations that you build. I think that's a way more useful like tool as a writer than structure and three act and whatever is yes. as a reader. Yeah. Well, one hundred percent, absolutely. Like, just when you're going to approach the the writing desk, that that is absolutely a better way to think of what you are doing, um, than as you were saying, as like in terms of plot and character and and these wider things that we use for analysis and not uh, construction. Yeah, um, completely. Like, I, it just it always gives me pause, though. The the thing that gives me pause is, is the um. Not so much the reaction, like the cause and effect and, and the action and reaction. I, I think that is a very elemental thing and a very, you know, thing you absolutely mm-hmm. need to consider in the realm of your story um, or, or in the realm of writing. But but I, I the place where that this is my sticking point more so is when he's like saying predicting the reader's expectations and then attempting to react or not react to them. That That's attempting to react to those expectations and either, you know, confirm them or to subvert them. Um, I What's your problem with it? I, yeah, I, I like that. What, tell me. I think we have like a, this is like one of those like core Ben and Emily of fundamentally different taste yeah. differences. I don't think you should ever think of the reader when you're writing. You, you should not consider a re- <laughs> the only time you should be considering a reader is in the final stages of editing when you're editing for readability and, and for like construction and making sure that that cause and effect is still there and, and that the thing that you want to get across is getting across like that you mm-hmm. have a co- like whatever you know thing that you feel the story or the piece of writing is supposed to be doing is there in the reading of it like that's when I think you should consider a reader but it it I think that you should just assume that whatever you write, nobody's going to read it. So you should just write whatever feels right in the moment. Like, because so much goes unread anyways. So much of what's published and written, nobody reads. Why should you consider what the reader will think of it? They won't. They, you, 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 the writer, and the thing you have created are disposed of as soon as it's out of your hands. It's no longer yours anyways. You can't predict what the reader's going to think. You don't know what they want, what they love, who they are. You know who you are and what you have, and that's what you can bring to the story. Is the in the act of the writing itself, that's where it lives. Is it in the pen and the paper? Yeah. Wow, we have such a fundamental difference of opinion on this. On this. <laughs> wow, we have a fundamental difference of opinion on this. I mean, I, I get where you're. Com- I think I get where you're coming from, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're. I think the benefit of where you're coming from, Mm -hmm. the benefit of saying like, I'm not going to worry about what an imagined audience thinks Mm -hmm. of my story or how they interpret my story or what their expectations are as I'm going. The benefit of that is that you don't, you know, cater to an invisible, um, somebody who has different tastes than you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you're not, the benefit of, of not worrying about your reader whatsoever is, you're never at risk of creating something that's just commercial and flat and speaks to no one Mm -hmm. because we've all read (laughs) that kind of work that, that falls flat because they were trying to cater possibly because they were trying to cater to what they thought the, the masses would want rather than, you know, actually writing something original and and fresh. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with that is I think it leads, I think it risks navel gazing. Mm-hmm. and writing mm-hmm. absolutely i think it yeah. it risks like those um 
self-obsessed and um, indulgent writing that that I find that I really resent reading. You know, yeah. I think that's a different kind of um, cliche literary writer type mm-hmm. is someone who's who, you know, their book is about an author on a book tour <laughs> and it's, you know, about their affair and, and, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a, like people say it's experimental and revolutionary, but it's just like, I don't know, it just feels like the revolutionary experimental chapter is him rambling indulgently um, to me. Yeah. The, um, it's wow. The, have I been vague enough for, did I call out a certain book? <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's the problem with like imaginary object, like a, a book we both dislike. Like, God, yeah. Like, for, for, sim- for that reason, the reason you just described, I, I agree that it does, it does put the writer at risk of doing that sort of thing. But I, I think that the way you get over that or get through that is that you be an empathetic person. Like, mm. in your, like, you know, Walter Mosley, who wrote Imaginary Object, by all, you know, cheated on his wife and shit and wasn't a good person. Like, and, and then that reflected in the things that he made, that he was kind of yeah. self-indulgent and shitty. But Dear reader, yeah. dear listener, pause for one second. It's literally in this room haunting me. <laughs> I have been trying to make myself read this. So I, like, have been trying to make myself read this. Basically, I skipped class that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was long distance with my girlfriend at the time. Yes, I know I'm a lesbian cliche. And I was just like, well, I'm going to skip class sometime this semester. And like this book doesn't super interest me. And then I came back and everyone was like, all the girls were like, I fucking hated this book. And all like a few of the guys were like, this book changed my life. Um, And so I was like, I've been trying to make myself read this for so long. Impossible Object by Nicholas Mosley. The first... My apologies. Yeah. The first chapter is like first person this no yeah first first chapter first person it's this guy who almost cheats on his wife with his son's girlfriend who's like a child so like it's frustrating it's self-indulgent it's pedophilic and Mm -hmm. i was like how did what (laughs) like what did i miss what am i missing that we're giving this the time of day like i yeah 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 agreed Completely the subject agree. matter is bad. The style is it feels really self indulgent to me. It doesn't captivate me in any way. It's, um, it's slow and turgid it so at best. Like it, it, it's a de- <laughs> it, it's a deeply like unpleasant book to read. It, it, it's unfun. The char- there's nothing interesting happens, and you know the the only the things that feel like they might be redeeming about it but might not be are these like it throughout the book there are like these three two page long interstitial sections that are the most interesting thing in the entire book. If you look at the table of contents and find those that are between the chapters, just read those three and you've read the only good sections in the entire thing. Like they're the only things that approach interesting. Like yeah, it, it's just because it's exactly that. It, it is a it is definitely a writer who, as I suggested, is not worried about an audience, um, who is not worried about a like a, a potential reader. But, like, on the other side of that coin, I, I think of an author like um, Pierre Goyata, who is a French writer who wrote a, you know, very moving book and very harsh book called Tomb for 500,000 Soldiers, which is about mm-hmm. the Algerian War and he, about the, um, the revolution in Algeria in which he was a soldier on the French side and defected because he realized that the French were committing war crimes against the Algerians. And this book is just a relentless slab of description of atrocity. And it's hmm. it's not approachable. It's not by any means like a book that I would suggest reading, but I think it is a very powerful and successful book and one that captures the true the sheer terror involved in being in, on the realizing that you are the bad guy in a conflict. And hmm. it, I, I don't think that he could have created that if he was ever, ever for a second thought about who was going to read it. And it, as a result, or, and also, um, uh, Megan Boyle very recently wrote, um, Live Blog, which is a combination novel memoir that's 800 pages long in which she attempted to chronicle every single moment of her life. She couldn't have been thinking about a reader when she was doing that. 
but it's one of the most beautiful, funny things I've ever read because it gets into all the minutia of her thoughts from moment to moment, and it just it creates this very human portrait. And once again, I don't think you could consider a reader in that moment. Like, well, yeah. those two examples, Ben, are people who you would would like, like already, mm-hmm. like someone who is owned up to atrocities and mm-hmm. someone charming and funny and yeah. insightful. Like, those are people who you already like. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So it is. So is. Or what we doing by saying to think of the reader and, and the reaction and reaction attempting to are we attempting to prevent further like male novelist navel gazing like is this a defense mechanism that literature has created in itself uh, or is responding to maybe I mean I wouldn't wouldn't oppose it I think it could be effective at that um, doesn't make it a bad thing however. So, like, I think we have a fundamental difference of opinion about, like, what the purpose of, what a purpose of Mm -hmm. art and entertainment is. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I tell, I think there is a personal story I wish to willingly tell that that you don't have to draw out of me on the air. Um, So, I used to be a reporter. I left the journalism industry after the Trump election. Um, I spent you know i wasn't reporting on national politics in any way but i was really invested in obviously all things that were big big news at the time um and i spent more than a year of his campaign like just kept getting my hopes up like that the next big scoop would be what convinced people that this guy was a a sham Mm -hmm. i remember distinctly i was at a club I was at a, I was at a club. A friend of mine got his um, New York Times like news alert, and the New York Times had gotten part a partial tax return, mm-hmm. like during the election season of 2016. Mm-hmm. It was a partial tax return. He got a news alert, and we literally toasted at the club like that this tax return would be like the defeat of Donald <laughs> Trump because we kept thinking that mm-hmm. facts would convince people that mm-hmm. this guy isn't who he says he is, mm-hmm. that he's not a millionaire, that he's all these things, mm-hmm. and. They never did. You know, facts don't change public opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, shortly after the election, there's a Washington Post article where the reporter just like followed this family who um, came from like small town Ohio mm-hmm. and like had already bought the like big election day, inauguration day um, tickets and, and regardless of who won. And they say they didn't, they, that Trump wasn't their choice, but like they were going to go no matter what. Um, in this Republican family who, like, had all of the cognitive dissonance that had been driving me crazy for months, for a year, um, about Trump himself, the mom then described, like, watching the movie Hidden Figures. Do you remember the movie mm-hmm. Hidden Figures? Yeah. There's a scene in Hidden Figures where one of the main characters, who's a black woman, uses a bathroom at the same time as a racist white woman, and the racist white woman is, like, I, tries to tell her I'm not racist, mm-hmm. and... And she says, I know you believe that. Mm. And she walks away. And this moment in this movie that this white woman who went to the Trump inauguration yeah. <laughs> like watched, it touched her. Like and, and she like it was the start of her starting to change her mind and like see where detractors were coming from and to treat them as more holistic. It like changed her whole fucking life, Ben. Mm-hmm. I've was infuriated because I had just watched a year of journalists killing themselves to, to try to ex- do expose after expose. And it mm-hmm. never broke through to a woman like her, but like this brief moment in a movie did. Yeah. Um, I just think the purpose of art is so much better at changing minds than mm-hmm. facts are. Mm-hmm. And when I say consider the reader, it's not about like marketability or giving the audience mm-hmm. what they want. It's about like, you have an opportunity while you're being entertaining to actually touch someone who otherwise would not listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we have a fundamental difference of opinion, but I don't, I don't know if that, um, like, I, I think like considering the reader won't write a good story for you necessarily. Yes. So even like, even if I could, while I was writing something like really accurately know how predict what my reader is going to predict that I do next. Mm-hmm. 
that isn't enough to give me an insightful idea that would, you know, reward, but also, mm-hmm. uh, surprise them. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if I am a proponent of like considering where your reader and what they're expecting, and I think it's effective, but I think it's actual like skill that you have to cultivate to actually know what to do with that information. Even if you yeah. can accurately predict how your reader is going to, what they're going to expect next, like you have to actually cultivate skill mm-hmm. to have a line like, I know you believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, for for it to mean something. Yeah. For, for, yeah. That, for that to matter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, I, I agree. I agree with you on a lot of levels about that. Um, 100%. And I, I don't want it to seem like I don't think people, I don't think there should only be experimental writing. I don't people, I don't think people <laughs> should only create it in, you know, wild without abandoned, like, you know, completely uncontrolled things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think, I, I think there's lots of room for very controlled art and, and for this a, as a thing. My, I guess my fear comes more specifically from it being the sole place from which writing is taught for the most part. Like this is the way That's we true. teach writing and yeah. it, it puts a chokehold on people as writers that may otherwise have been, who are good people and, and would want, maybe have the desire and ability to do something else, but feel like they aren't supposed to or feel or fear that, it won't be accepted if they don't, uh, you know, go to down these routes uh, of this very much more rigid, uh, utilized form. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's more my fear, I guess, than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. The dominance of, like, the absolute dominance of um, checkout like structure. Yeah. Is, is yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and, that, is, that is true. And a, and a part of the problem of that is, you know, it's capitalism is the pro is inherently the issue with that is because if we lived in a society that did not so heavily rely on markets and if people want to make a living as a writer if you want to even attempt to do that you you got to be doing this sort of thing because that's what's going to sell because i also understand that like experimental writing is not what everyone wants to read like that which is totally yeah. fair um but but it's definitely one of those things where if we had a society less yoked and an art and art forms less yoked by marketplaces. Uh, I, I think it, it wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't be as concerned about it. But since we are in the state that we're in, I it I have reason to have concern about it. Yeah. Word. Um, I'm gonna try a segue off of that. Yeah. But before I try this, like extremely rough following segue uh let me preface this by the whole like past however long we've been talking none of this is what i expected us to talk about today um (laughs) so what i expected us to talk about today is speaking of sometimes just like uh market forces make one idea really dominant um have you did you have a chance to did you look at or have you heard anything about that new yorker article i sent you about the trauma plot i i skimmed it a little bit um but i i didn't read too much of it yeah so uh for anyone follow and i will link this in the show notes so um anyone who's listening now if you want to pause us pause our discussion briefly um there is a new yorker literary and cultural critic um who uh shared uh wrote this article called The Case Against the Trauma Plot. Fiction writers love it. Filmmakers can't resist it. But does this trope deepen characters or flatten them into a set of symptoms? It's by Parul Segal, um, and I will link it below. So, I think that Chekhov... I think that uh, a lot of... And anyone who's interested in literary criticism, this is an interesting read. You might enjoy it. Um... I think what Chekhov does here is a good alternative to the cliche tra- trauma plot that, mm. I, that we're all tired of. Um, so structurally what Chekhov does here, uh, it's the very first page. So, so, so well, let me define the tra- trauma plot first, actually. So Perul Segal is basically writing about like, why are there so many stories right now where like the climax of the story is, and then the character reveals their past trauma that made them so, so difficult. And then that's the end of the story. Like, why? Why is this happening? <laughs> why is that with this? Why? Yeah. Why is that so popular right now? Um, and I have read a, a number of, I think Pearl Segal would call it trauma plots. I would call it like a, 
boring epiphany story mm-hmm. um, where it's just like sh- there are a number of short stories, especially out there right now, who where like this character is like difficult throughout the story, and then finally at the very end they admit like, oh, it's because I'm suicidal, or oh, it's because whatever, um, whatever insert traumatic baggage here, and then that's the end of the story, um, and it feels like waiting until the end of the story to drop that information makes the story about how edgy that information is rather than about the consequences of that information. Mm-hmm. So. What Chekhov does in, in the cart is a good alternative to that, like, last-minute edgy info drop. Mm-hmm. Um, Chekhov actually starts a short story by saying about the, the main character, I think it's on the very first page, says, like, casually works it into the background. Um, she's been, her, her parents died when she was little. Mm-hmm. So from the second page, Chekhov says, like, hey, our main character's parents died when she was young. And it's impacted her economic standing in life and therefore her whole like prospects in life. So second page, she had once had a father and a mother. They had lived in Moscow in a big apartment near the Red Gate, but all that remained in her memory of the all that remained in her memory of that part of her life was something vague and formless like a dream. Gets that info out of the way early. And then the actual I feel like the climax of the story is not about like just revealing that information, but what does she do with that information? So the climax of this story is she, like, sees someone who um, looks really similar to her mom used to look like, Mm -hmm. and she has, like, a vivid memory of what that was like. And then I think the climax of the story is not just, oh, she really feels that information for the first time. She has an epiphany, but then, and then she returns to her dreary fucking life. (laughs) Like, she does, it's an opportunity for change that she chooses to not take. She does not change. Yeah. It's just more, maybe more deeply felt now. Yeah. Um, so I think if if anyone's interested in, in trying to write a story that has a climax where it's a traumatic info dump, um, what if it wasn't just about that that information is true, but rather about what the character does with that information? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is a good alternative to the... Because I... When you mentioned that the article puts out that the trauma plot is, you know, the, this thing where the the point is the information, not the a- anything surrounding it. Like, that, the climax is that the information exists rather than it as a utility. Like, yeah. And, and I think that goes back to a thing that we've talked about a lot on the podcast uh, is just, like, having the, you know, making your characters informed and, and the events of your story just informed by the things that occur within them rather than you know just having things exist as themselves as single units um yeah that just kind of sit there on the page yeah exactly like, and... generally speaking things should build upon each other mm-hmm. they should yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, there needs to be some sort of you know structural integrity within exactly like yeah 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 so the main thing that I expected this episode to be about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to derail us. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm having a good time. <laughs> the main thing that I expected to talk about this episode is occasion for story. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of this George Saunders exercise that he does over this Chekhov short story is um, he read he has us read like one page of the story or a couple pages of the story and then his commentary mixed throughout. Um, an exercise that he forces you to do because of how he structured it is pause before you read the last page. And he makes you ask yourself, like, does it feel complete? No. What's missing? How would I solve this as a writer? And I think that was a phenomenal exercise, Mm -hmm. um, especially to make um, it made me, you know, realize, like, I think the question that, that I try to ask myself as a writer that I don't know if I'm always answering, I don't think I'm usually answering, but I do try to ask it at least is, why is this the day that I have tuned into this character's life? Mm. I think, you know, the classic MFA type writer advice is like, maybe this is this is the day that changes everything, or this is the day where everything could have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the day in their life. Mm-hmm. I think that bar may be too high, but if if, for example why is this return back in the cart from down from the town? Why is this the cart journey? Why is Mm -hmm. this the time that Mm -hmm. we learn about her? Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have to necessarily be her entire life that changes, Mm -hmm. but there should be a reason that this is the time. Mm -hmm. And that 
this this exercise that he does of like withholding that final page to make you ask that question mm-hmm. was good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It, especially because I I think it shows like it it also does something that I think is very important to understand as a writer is that it is always just structural units like that that is what a story is composed of at the end of the day emotion is in there and like you know feeling and whatnot is a big part of it but it is always at the end of the day going to be a combination of characters and events that are all constructed and pieced together like and the way that he points out that's like it feels incomplete if you just stop there you don't feel those final units coming together like it is I and just kind of laying that bare for the reader in that scenario is a wonderful exercise for anyone writing like just be learning to identify the ways in which units are uh, the, the different units of writing that make up a story or a novel or whatever yeah yeah so I think that's absolutely a I know it's a reading exercise rather than a writing exercise and you do try mm-hmm. to do writing prompts more than reading but this is a, a reading exercise yeah. worth doing like mm-hmm. as you're reading withhold the final page or the final few moments from yourself what does it feel complete why why not what does it mean mm-hmm. um really really good read like a writer exercise right there yeah yeah and that, and that will make you a better writer uh, of any stripe like that that will make you better at, at this whole deal 100 percent yeah so ben question for you mm-hmm. how do you approach occasion for story in your writing like my how i phrase the question is why is this the day that mm. this story that you tune into this character's life i think um other other people have phrased it like what changes in the story or why is this worth being a story rather why is this worth reading about mm. at all mm-hmm. how do you approach that as a uh our, our little experimental man's <laughs> i feel that um I, I think the question where am i or what am i looking at is always much more prominent as what i'm going to begin with especially you know like i i i don't come to characters very easily like that that's just a, a thing in my own writing that that is i i have difficulty with and, and i'm not as and i'm not that great at um is yeah. creating people um so I'm always going to be much more concerned with where I am. Um, maybe uh, that that's, you know, where am I and what does this place look like? That's going to be the occasion for story for me. Like, where, mm-hmm. where are we and, and, like, what's going on right now in the present tense moment? Like, So what, like, questions do you ask yourself as you're drafting or revising um, to make sure that your story feels complete? Um, I, I think I'm not really that concerned about whether something feels complete until I'm doing those final polishing moments, uh, is a very real thing. Um, completeness is, you know, I'll figure out, I'll figure that out is kind of how I feel. I'm much more concerned with moment to moment details. You know, what does it look like in this room? What's happening in this room? What, you know? what's strange about what's going on is always a question I'm asking. And a question that I'll also ask a lot of the time is how can I start doing something else completely and then figure out a way to tie that in with what I'm already doing? Like how can I take a hard left and figure out how to connect it? Yeah. Okay. As a more conventional tasted writer, Mm -hmm. I am constantly terrified of the question. Why does this matter? Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that question doesn't occur to you at all? I, honestly, like, I I go in with the assumption that what I am writing does not matter. Like I oh said before, when I really, like, <laughs> say that I, I am asking the... When I'm, like, saying, you know, I am assuming that no one will ever read this. I am assuming that no one will ever read this. If I submit it, if it gets published, I am going in under the assumption that it it does not matter, that it is inherently a minor work, that it is something that I am just creating because I want to create it. I, I'm not usually trying to change people's minds with the stuff I make. Like, yeah. God, we're different writers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very. <laughs> very. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I so that, like, question... That's I, I at the beginning of this episode I mentioned that I recently wrote a T chart of like what if I made Megan the main character what if I made Ari the main character 
I have a draft that is um, just doesn't feel like a complete short story to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I like I really like it on a moment to moment setting. It has a really strong sense of place. It has an interesting voice. But it doesn't feel like it adds up to anything. And mm-hmm. like, I'm going to throw out half of it. Like, I'm going to meaningfully redo this whole goddamn thing mm-hmm. because I don't, I have not satisfactory to my own taste answered why this matters. Why is mm-hmm. this the day that I'm tuning into this character's life? And mm-hmm. I had to go all the way back to like, well, who the hell is my main character then? If, if, if it's mm-hmm. um, to, to answer that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah, we're very different writers. Yeah, like uh, the thing I'm writing right now that I was talking about briefly at the beginning is about it's about a guy falling out of a plane and, and like I, I'm much more concerned with like you know what's it like to fall out of the plane like that that's what I'm really interested in trying to capture is that moment of being caught in open air and like describing that as much as I can and why it matters it I'll, it either will or it won't you know that that's the thing so much happens in life that doesn't matter and this story can be one of those things <laughs> like, yeah damn <laughs> the freedom the freedom <laughs> in your life <laughs> it's it's probably because i'm a man if we're being completely honest <laughs> the the <I> think <laughs> so i mean i'm not maybe we've been like because we've been socialized differently but like i'm not i I don't think i'm thinking about yeah huh i'm just it just doesn't like i don't care if it doesn't make sense or makes sense i don't need it to make sense i i just want it to uh, if i'm writing something i want it to just try to hold on to a moment for a little bit and just have that moment be there And, and then just kind of let it go afterwards. I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't need more than itself. Like, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I think I'm a perfectionist. That's what I just realized in this conversation. Is, oh, wow, I'm really obsessing about making this stand on its own and, and that the pressure to make it do so is... Yeah, but then you write, like, cool, good stories as a result of that. Like, I like reading the things you write because they're well thought out and I feel, like, attached to the people that you've created. So I, I don't I don't think you should stop doing anything you're doing by any means. Like, I think it's smart, so. Well, I appreciate that, but I also haven't fucking finished a short story in, like, two years. So we need to balance this. Balance is required. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Huh. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, guys, uh, Ben and I recommend George Saunders' is a swim in a pond in the rain, mm. um, and it is just really classic. This is how your MFA professors yeah. will teach you how to read. Yeah. Other thing about it, uh, George Saunders' commentary very easy to read. Really smooth writer. Really explains himself so clearly and diligently. Like it, it's it's a pleasure. It, it truly is a pleasure to read his commentary on this story. Like one hundred percent. Yeah. I also, as someone with relatively conventional taste, it is confidence boosting to mm. read someone to read an established writer so confidently telling you this is why it works. Like mm. here it is. Like mm. really cutting through the noise and teaching you how to identify that. Um, I think George Saunders, uh, a a professor who I got to have in undergrad, uh, went to Syracuse and had George Saunders as his his MFA professor. Mm -hmm. So Adam DeNoyers, if you ever hear this, shout out, great, great writing professor, um, George Saunders. He always spoke really highly of George Saunders Mm -hmm. as a professor. So seems like Mm -hmm. a great guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Cool. Okay, well, I think uh, I think that's that's that on our actual subject matter this week. Yeah. Been, uh, do you have any recommendations? Uh, recommendations? Um, I definitely recommend uh, the Eric Dolphy album that I was talking about earlier, uh, Out to Lunch. Really great. Just a great jazz record. You know, if you like a more freeform experimental jazz, it doesn't go into full-on, like, Sun Ra scronking noise freakouts, um, but it's definitely in the avant-garde realm. For sure. Um, it, it definitely is very free-flowing, but it, it, it's a really, really cool album. You know, I, I'm not... I always feel weird talking about jazz because I'm not... I, I don't know a lot about music, like, theory, and I feel like if I did, I'd be better at discussing what's happening in a piece of jazz music. 
but but I will just say like it 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 has a lot of mystery to it. It it feels very you know like noirish at times while also very just kind of hard to grasp. It, it, it's a it's a cool album. Uh, absolutely worth checking out. I always I don't think there's any graceful way to describe nonverbal and you know mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like, like even people with music theory degrees like mm-hmm. it's music like it's hard to put into words if yeah. it was easy to put into words it'd be words yeah <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's delightful it's delightful oh, um i recommend a poetry collection it's called it's by joshua bennett it came out in 2020 and it's called ode o-w-e-d mm-hmm. um which is a good I didn't realize when I picked it up, but obviously that is, now I realize it's obvious that is a play on words Mm -hmm. of ode, Mm O-D-E, like a poem that is an ode to something. Mm -hmm. Um, Ode by Joshua Bennett um, Mm -hmm. is my recommendation this week. It's it's really delightful. Um, I'm not too far into it, but I've been having a really lovely time. It's uh, just, uh, I think he's, hang on, let me double check this. Oh yeah, he's a Guggenheim fellow. Wow. Wow. Joshua Bennett. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's the parts I've gotten through so far, like, uh, childhood, um, like, what's it like to be, to, to be a black kid? Mm. I think, I think it's in New York City. Um, really nice. Oh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody. I think that was the end of the Good Writing Podcast episode for this week. Thanks for tuning in for so long. Thanks, everybody. This was a fun one. Good stuff. Yeah, if if you uh, want to send us uh, fan or hate mail um, mm-hmm. or indifferent mail, um, we are on, we have an email address you can email. It's goodwritingpodcast uh, at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Please send send us an email I, about anything. If you've enjoyed one of the things that we've or not enjoyed one of the things we've suggested, or you know one of the recommendations we've given please uh, or just general thoughts or tell us how your writing is going if you're a writer and listening to this tell us how that's going like that send your cool electronic here. messenger yeah. to notify the co-hosts yes. of your updates um <laughs> we are also on twitter at good writing pod thanks for listening everybody yeah. five stars on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts please thank you bye, bye.